3: On Monday, just before midnight, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis held a press conference.
2: Thank you for joining us. I'm here with the prosecutors and investigators who have worked diligently on the investigation of criminal attempts to interfere in the administration of Georgia's 2020 presidential election.
3: She announced what we've all heard by now that Donald Trump and 18 co-conspirators have been charged with engaging in a sprawling criminal conspiracy to disenfranchise Georgia voters.
2: The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Willis
3: has been practicing law for more than 20 years. She's been the Fulton County D.A. since 2021, but the former president has been attacking her for months, calling her a rabid partisan, a radical Democrat, even
2: a racist. I make decisions in this office based on the facts and the law. Um, The law is completely nonpartisan. That's how decisions are made in every case. To date, this office has indicted, since I've been sitting as a district attorney, over 12,000 cases. This is the 11th RICO indictment. We followed the same process. We look at the facts, we look at the law, and we bring charges. Trump has been indicted four
3: times in less than five months. But law professor Rick Hassan says this one is different. And a big reason why is Fani Willis. She can't
0: be controlled by anyone else. Uh, she... Uh, Is independent of the governor. She's independent of the federal government. So even if Trump becomes president, uh, she can't be fired by him.
3: We see that Trump has already attacked Willis repeatedly over his social network, Truth Social. Are you surprised to see him zero in on her like this?
0: What surprises me is that he took so long to (laughs) attack her. I mean, first of all, Donald Trump has a pattern of attacking anyone who's going after him. But there's something special about his attacks against black women. Trump has this history of going after whether it's Kamala Harris or Letitia James, the New York Attorney General. He seems to have a special visceral attack uh, that he likes to bring out against black women.
3: Black women telling him what to do.
0: Black women over whom he has no control.
3: Within hours of the indictment, Trump doubled down. On Tuesday, he vowed to hold a press conference in which he'd deliver irrefutable proof his election fraud claims are real. But at the end of the day, Trump might not even need proof. He may just need to wind down the clock.
0: I think one of the biggest questions is one of timing. Time is the enemy. Bringing that case to trial and to fruition before the 2024 elections seems like a Quite a tall order to me. It doesn't take much to delay things when you have to coordinate 19 defendants, 41 charges, lots of evidence. And and the facts in this case, although the case is being brought in Georgia, there are allegations of actions that took place in Arizona, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Washington, D.C. That also complicates things. If Trump runs for office and is elected to office... He probably can stop the, the criminal proceedings against him for the duration of his presidency. So the biggest enemy here is time.
3: Today on the show, Fannie Willis versus Donald Trump. I'm Mary C. Curtis, in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. Let's dig deeper into these charges. This is Trump's fourth indictment in five months, if people are keeping track, but it's the first one to rope in, as you say, 18 indicted co-conspirators and 30 unnamed unindicted co-conspirators. You've talked about it a bit, but how did you react when you saw those numbers? And why is this the first Trump indictment to involve so many other people?
0: So I think you know one thing to say is that Jack Smith, the counsel in the federal case, made a strategic choice to bring a streamlined case against just Donald Trump. And he brought just three charges. And it doesn't get into every nook and cranny of everything that Trump tried to do. I think that Smith was making the calculation that this was the best way to assure that there could be a trial that could take place before the election and that uh, if Trump is found guilty, uh, voters can take that into account. He's not telling the full story of what happened. This uh, indictment in Georgia, in contrast, is the most comprehensive attempt to describe, with a focus on Georgia, but to describe nationally the plan to try to steal the 2020 election, which had a lot of different moving parts, from the fake electors to messing with voting machines to leaning on the Georgia Secretary of State. It's a very different kind of calculation. And maybe we can think of the two cases as complementary to each other.
3: Who are some of these other key defendants?
0: Well, there's Mark Meadows, who was Trump's chief of staff. Uh, Meadows has been absent from The federal cases so far, there's been talk that Meadows is perhaps cooperating with federal prosecutors. That didn't save him here. A number of Trump's lawyers are here, including Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Sidney Powell, people who helped, allegedly helped to try to use the rules for how we translate voters' votes into electoral college votes in Congress uh, as, as a way of, of stealing the election. There are the fake electors and the people who facilitated the fake electors. So this is sprawling, it is national. I would say when you read the, the 90 plus page indictment, it's audacious, it is fearless.
3: Now Trump has been charged with 13 counts, but the big one is the RICO violation, What exactly is RICO? If folks have heard about it, generally, it's in the context of a mob prosecution, right?
0: So RICO, it is essentially a claim of an organized criminal conspiracy. And so if a group of people get together, and they engage in a common enterprise of crime, uh, then they can all be charged together for Participating in that, so you know, you said the, the 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 mob example. So you know, you think about organized crime. There may be, you know, the hitman that goes out and does an assassination, and then there's another member of the group that engages in a drug deal, and another one that engages in extortion. And Rico allows you to see them as acting as a group in a common criminal enterprise, and to essentially hold all of them accountable for the actions of the others because they're, they're working together as a team. Same kind of thing here. The claim is that the attempt to steal the election was being done in a team. Some people were dealing with messing with voting machines. Some people were doing the fake electors plan. Some were pressuring state officials to change vote totals. But it was a part of a common criminal enterprise to attempt to subvert the 2020 election outcome.
3: Could we see a situation where some people are convicted of some charges, but others aren't? With a prosecution this sweeping, how exactly will it work?
0: Well, sure, yes. Uh, You know, and it's very common when you have a case, especially one involving a conspiracy among multiple defendants. Think about one of the defenses we expect Donald Trump to. Uh, go forward with uh, in his cases, which is to say, I was just relying on the advice of counsel. You know, my lawyers told me it was okay to do this. So that's what I decided to do. Well, I I don't know if that's going to be successful or not. But if that kind of defense were successful, you can imagine the lawyer being convicted and Trump not. So it's certainly possible. And uh, that raises a really important point, which is that the interests of the defendants here are not necessarily aligned. So already we've seen in the federal case those six co-conspirators who have not yet been indicted pointing the finger at each other. The interests of the defendants do not align. Now maybe Trump's going to pay some of the legal bills for some of these defendants, but he's already spending millions of dollars on his defense. There's going to be a lot of pressure on some of these defendants to make a deal and perhaps even offer testimony against Trump or others.
3: Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis says she plans to try all 19 defendants at the same time. Logistically, what kind of a challenge will that be?
0: Well, I mean, just fitting those people into the courtroom is going to be difficult. All the lawyers, the pretrial motions and discovery all of that's going to take time. The, the witnesses, this just seems quite a challenge. I think she also said she hoped to bring it to trial in six months. That, that seems very optimistic and ambitious. So we'll see uh, what happens. But it would not surprise me if down the line, some of these cases get uh, hived off and considered separately.
3: The Willis case may be sprawling, but Rick says the main characters are black Georgia voters. Why that matters after the break.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
3: is about to step straight into the spotlight even more than she already has been. And Willis also is Black. You've written that one of the central things differentiating the Georgia case and the federal case is the role of race, both in the sense of the specific key players in the indictment and in the broader sense of how Trump targeted Black voters. Let's start with the key players. Who caught your eye?
0: What really caught my eye in this complaint was the focus on Ruby Freeman. Uh, Ms. Freeman was an election worker in Fulton County. Uh, she and, and her daughter, Shay Moss, were election workers that were uh, falsely accused by Trump. Ruby Freeman, that's, uh, she's a vote scammer, a professional vote scammer and hustler. His lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. Of Ruby Freeman and Shay Freeman Morris and one other gentleman, Quite
3: obviously, surreptitiously passing around USB ports as if they
2: are vials of heroin or cocaine.
0: And Trump and his allies were trying to claim that Freeman alone had been uh, manipulating the votes. At one point he said 18,000 votes for Biden. And these charges against Ruby Freeman and her daughter led to threats. Uh, They've led to harassment. There's now a civil suit that uh, Freeman has brought against Rudy Giuliani and others uh, for this, uh, for these claims. Uh, The state of Georgia has cleared her and and her daughter of any wrongdoing. They didn't do anything wrong, but blaming um, black people for engaging in voter fraud is something that Trump has done a lot. He uh, claimed there was fraud in Milwaukee, in Philadelphia, in Atlanta, These are all places with large black populations. And the messages were either subtle or they were blatant, but they were that, uh, you know, black people are stealing the election from you.
3: Also, it really helps tell story because I recall that quite distraught and moving testimony with Ruby Freeman saying, you can't imagine what it's like to have the president of the United States attack a citizen that he should be taking care of.
2: I've lost my name.
3: And I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. That was pretty emotional. So that really leads also into what you were saying about Willis wanting to tell a story.
0: That's right. Willis is personalizing this so that this is not just some kind of conspiracy against the system. It is a conspiracy to disenfranchise the black voters who were part of the coalition that elected Joe Biden as president in Georgia and in other states.
3: What about the Georgia complaint itself? You wrote that it vindicates the interests of all black voters in Georgia and around the country. Talk a little bit about how that's so.
0: Well, you may remember that um, the race was so close in Georgia and it was the turnout of black voters that put Biden over the top in Georgia. You may remember that right after The uh, 2020 election, as uh, these uh, post-election fights were going on between the uh, Biden campaign and the Trump campaign, there was a runoff in Georgia and control of the Senate was on the line. And black voters again turned out to give a victory uh, to both uh, Senators Warnock and Ossoff, uh, uh, giving Democrats the uh, control of the Senate. So black voters have been pivotal in the state of Georgia, and of course they were part of the coalition that put Biden over the top in Pennsylvania and in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, In many states, uh, really uh, without the strong support of black voters, uh, Biden wouldn't have been president. And so it's not surprising, especially given Donald Trump's history, uh, that he would attack those places with large populations of black voters and claim that uh, this is where the fraud is. And so this really is the, um, the crux of the kind of justice that uh, Willis is trying to bring in Fulton County, Georgia.
3: In Georgia, there's been a recent spate of laws targeting voters. For instance, the 2022 legislation that bans giving waters to voters waiting in line, given the broader push to clamp down on voters in recent years, how important is this case? Does it play into it at all?
0: Well, I think that you can understand the actions that were uh, taken in the Georgia legislature and other legislatures as an attempt to react to what Trump has done to the Republican Party. Trump has convinced the base of the Republican Party, that election fraud and irregularities are rampant. And so in response, legislatures have felt they've had to do something. Now, I don't think that all of the laws that Georgia passed or that other states passed are necessarily suppressing the vote. I don't think that these laws necessarily uh, are all bad, as some of them may have actually improved things. Um, But some of them seem clearly motivated by a desire to please Trump and the Republican base. So, for example, making it harder for people to vote by mail without evidence that vote by mail was used to engage in fraud in the 2020 election seems to be about trying to assuage the feelings of Donald Trump and the Republican base. Uh, I expect we're going to continue to see more of this, especially as demographics change. Uh, In states like Georgia that are now purple states, in states like Texas that maybe in a decade will become uh, more uh, purple, I think we're going to see legislatures passing laws that, that may or may not have this effect, but that seem intended to make it harder for people likely to vote for Democrats to be able to register and to vote.
3: Rather than backing off, we see Trump doubling down. He announced on Truth Social that he's planning a press conference for this Monday, promising a, quote, large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report that's going to double down on his false claims of election fraud in 2020. He's saying the findings from this report will somehow make Willis's charges go away. Without asking you to get inside Trump's head, what could he possibly be trying to do here?
0: Well, I mean, politically, he's trying to show his supporters that there's evidence on his side. Uh, They've produced nothing in uh, the two and a half years since the 2020 election. There's been no proof of substantial fraud or irregularities that could have changed the outcome of the election. So I don't know what he's going to come up with, but he's trying to muddy the waters. He's trying to claim uh, that... He has uh, evidence that's going to support his side. I'm sure that whatever it is that he comes up with, it's going to be closely scrutinized. And if uh, the past is any indication of what's coming, uh, there's not going to be any substance to what he produces.
3: Willis says she wants to go to trial within six months. Regardless of whether she wins, could the fact that she's even brought this case at all affect future efforts to disenfranchise voters?
0: Well, one of the things that I've been saying is that if we don't have these trials, what is going to be the um, thing that is going to deter Trump and others like Trump from trying to do this again in the future? So I think the fact that these cases are being brought serves an important deterrent uh, function in telling people that at the very least, if you try to do this, going to face a serious criminal uh, charge. You know, whether it results in actual convictions and potential jail time is something we're just going to have to wait
3: to see. Given how divided America is in so many ways, do you think the American people will see it that way or that their response will be just as divided?
0: I think the response will be divided. I think that Trump has managed to insulate himself from charges that he's engaged in wrongdoing. It's really hard to imagine any other politician of either party being able to be subject to multiple indictments for different activities across the country and not be just completely washed out as a politician and as a public figure. Uh, Trump has been, I think, brilliant in insulating himself from the truth and convincing his supporters that uh, these alternate alternative facts, as uh, they were called, uh, are actually the truth. And so there's no question that whether Trump is convicted or acquitted or these cases never get to trial, there's going to be serious division in this country over the propriety of bringing charges against him.
3: Thank you, Rick Hassan, for coming on What Next?
0: It's been great to speak with you.
3: Rick Hassan is a professor of law at UCLA and the director of the Safeguarding Democracy Project. And that's the show. If you're a fan of What Next? The best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. What Next? is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Duchard. We're led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary C. Curtis, columnist for Roll Call and host of its Equal Time podcast. Find me on Twitter. I'm at mcurtisnc3. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.